Welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 11. Today we are going to start looking into the Havamal and what it means and the morals about that. But before we jump into that, I wanted to visit or invite everybody to visit my website at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. And if you had any questions for the podcast, please send any email to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com or podcast at hugenhoff.org. I just felt like making an email address for my site. So podcast at hugenhoff.org will be mail for the podcast. If you had a question for the Kindred in general, not the podcast, you can send mail to kindred at hugenhoff.org. All right, and today I have Lore on once again. Uh, Lore, how are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, so the Havamaw, I guess. Let's talk about that. The Havamaw is it actually literally translates into the sayings of Har, and Har is another name for Odin, so the sayings of Odin. So these are things that Odin says, and they're sort of like pieces of advice, maybe moral truths, things that you should follow to uh, help you live a better life, and a safer life, and a moral life in many cases. Uh, so so kind of what this is is just a whole bunch of different stanzas, and each one, or sometimes two or three put together, will have some moral principle or practical principle saying this is a good way to live for some reason or the other. So what we plan to do is talk about, is read one of these stanzas and then go over the moral implications, which may spin off into a whole other moral conversation, and my goal here is to try to show what the Havamal is saying, as in what is moral or immoral, right or wrong, um, and and then decide, do we agree with this today, do we not agree with it, and discuss our own perspective on it in our day-to-day life. So when we do go on these moral tangents, which will probably happen, it's just not... It's not just our own personal moral beliefs. It will be our moral beliefs, but um, since we're also true, they will be influenced by also true. So this will be some interesting. Sometimes the morals will be different um, in the sense that they'll be influenced by being also true. So it will get some of my idea of the different morals of also true out there. I do want to say everybody has different morals, and not every true group is going to believe the same way that we do. Not everybody's going to take to have them all the same. Um, so these are mostly going to be our interpretations of what the Havamaw is saying. So before we begin, Lore, on the big scale, do you have anything to say about the Havamaw? Well, uh, of the... Poetic Eddas themselves, I think it is one of the more important uh, pieces that you would want to read, this and the Volsipa. Uh, Those are the two big ones, I think, that you should uh, delve into deeply. If if you only have a limited amount of time, and you only have uh, 
amount of time to read two. Those are the two that you want to read. I would agree with that. And um, I did want to mention the the uh, translations we're reading. It is easy to find translations online. Most of them are at least tolerable. I am reading the Kindle version of the Valsapa, or uh, I'm sorry, of the Havamaw. And if you go to the uh, Kindle ebook store, whatever it's called, and type in Poetic Eddas, this is one of the ones that come up. I may, maybe the only one, I'm not sure. It's only a couple bucks, so I went ahead and bought it, and I will go ahead and put the link to the Amazon Kindle store in the show notes if anybody wants to read this translation. Uh, it, it seems okay. And Lore is actually reading my favorite translation, which is the Hollander translation. It's the Hollander, Hollander translation of the Poetic Eddas, which has the Havamal in it, because in the Poetic Eddas you have the Valspa first, followed by the Havamal. So it's a great book to get, because you get both, uh, you know, right there. Okay, without further ado, I am just going to start by reading the the first stanza and then we're going to go ahead and talk about it so stanza one is within the gates ere a man should go fully warily let him watch full long let him look about him for little he knows where a foe may lurk and sit in the seats with it okay so trying to put that in common english when you're somewhere new be aware of your surroundings because you never know who may be there waiting for you. Um, Lord, do you think the stanza is saying more than that? Uh, I don't think it's even just new. It's just have be be uh, conscious of what's around you uh, when you enter anything. Uh, be wary always. Be watchful always. Because uh, you never know when you might meet a foe. Okay. That's, that's about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it's saying. Now, I don't think this one would... It would be hard for me to say this is a moral principle so much as it is a practical principle. You can think it may be more relevant in a time where there was, you know, maybe a little more bloodshed than there is today. But even in today's world, I think this is something we should all pay attention to and um, I mean I'm, I'm definitely guilty of not paying as much attention as I sh- should in certain situations but it, wherever you are if you're at home if you're walking down the street in the city where there may be criminals wanting to mug you or if you're hiking in the woods where there may be animals who want to eat you which admittedly is not really going to happen in Indiana, but but still, wherever you are, it's always important to pay attention because the world is full of dangers. That doesn't mean it's a bad place. It just means that you need to pay attention or you could get yourself hurt, even in today's world. Um, did you have anything to add on that one? Nope. Okay, let's move on to number uh, stanza two. Hail to the giver, a guest has come. Where shall the stranger set? Swift shall he be who, with sword shall try, the proof of his might to might. Oh, that one's a little more... That has a little bit less to do with anything there at the end, with the Hollanders. Is the Hollanders different? 
Yes. It starts out nearly the same, but then, it, like, whatever they did there at the end is completely different. Go ahead. Now, I've got a note on this. Go ahead and read the Hollander edition. All right. It says, All hail to the givers. A guest hath come, say, where shall he sit? In haste is he to the hall who cometh to find a place by the fire. Okay. See, that's the way I remembered it. Um... Okay, so ap- apparently that sword thing is a stanza quoted by... Oh, the second line is often um, omitted in most of the prose at a manuscri- manuscripts. Probably the first and second lines had originally nothing to do with the third and fourth. The last two not referring to a has- host or guest, but the general danger of backing one's views with a sword. Uh, because my third stanza says fire... Oh no, no! I think that will be the same. Um, what I'm that was a little confusing because I wasn't expecting the stanza to say that, and it sounds like it's one of those things in the original translations. Some editors will take out lines or put in lines just because they don't really make sense, and something like the poetic edits normally has multiple source uh, material, so it's kind of hard to know what goes where, and which lines you want to include and which lines you don't want to include. But to get to the point of this uh, stanza, I think what's important here is you have the idea, hail to the giver, a guest has come, where shall a stranger set? Uh, In the Norse culture, hospitality was a very good thing. If you were to invite a guest over to your house. You wouldn't invite him over and then make him sit in the corner far away from the fire. Remember the lands of most of our ancestors were cold, so you would want to be close to the fire because it's cold everywhere else. And the idea is you should give your guest that uh, preferred seat. You'd give them the seat close to the fire. You'd give them the good food. You'd give them the good drink because they are your guest and you should treat them well. So... Lord, first of all, if you disagree with what I said, let me know. And if not, what do you think about the 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 moral of hospitality, I guess? Well, I think from where we were at that point, it was best to be hospitable, simply because uh, strangers were in limited numbers. If we had a large group of strangers come in, that would be different, I think. But... Uh, See hospitality. I didn't disagree with anything you said, though. Um. You know, I think there is sort of a distinction to be made here, or perhaps a balancing act to be made here, because we remember that first stanza was like, "Be wary wherever you are, always watch for an enemy, etc., etc." And then this act is talking about be hospitable to people and everything else. So there is a balance to be drawn. You need to be hospitable and nice to people and everything else. But on the other hand, I don't think you should be foolishly hospitable to people. You shouldn't just assume everybody's going to be good or do the right thing. And in today's society, you can also see it if... If a stranger knocks on your door and is like, can I come in and have dinner with you? That is something you wouldn't necessarily 
let them do because there are certain dangers. I mean, are you able to defend yourself and everything else would be important to ask, of course. Um, but that would be a balancing act. Are they too dangerous to let them in? Should you say no because you don't know them? Or should you follow the rules of hospitality and let them in? And I I really think today that is very much a balancing act. Um, there is an example it reminds me of, though, and I'm going to let you cover this because you are a big Heinlein fan. I'll just do the first setup. Remember in Time Enough, I, Time Enough for Love... Uh, the the main character was in a part of his life when he was in like you know almost a settlement town he had a homestead and the neighbors came in and they had a homestead and it was with him and his one of his wives that he liked a whole lot do you know the right. scene I'm talking about I do I just got done reading it again okay I'm I'm gonna let you kind of set that scene up and talk about it because it really reminds me of this hospitality thing especially well the hospitality, but also being aware of your surroundings, and he synthesized them very well in that scene. Okay, so, basically, him and his wife at that point uh, were all alone because uh, they just started a new homestead way far away from the rest of the town. It was across mountains, so they, it was by themselves. Uh, they had been there for a few years, and they were, you know, all by themselves, and they were hoping for new neighbors. Uh, so they noticed a couple of wagons coming over the mountains, and they're like, awesome, we'll have neighbors. So Lazarus goes out and meets up with them, and he invites them home for supper, though he finds them rather rude, uh, and just three men, which is strange for, uh, you know, homesteading. Mm-hmm. But he invites them over, and he gives them strict rules that they should bathe and everything before they come in. And they, you know, they do, and they come in, and he he tells his wife to prepare for guests, but, you know, just beware, and he invites them in. So they're at dinner, and they have dinner, and they're still being rude, and eventually the guests pull a weapon, and, well, Lazarus responds, his wife responds, and shoots the three of them before they can shoot them. But they gave them food, they've offered them water, they did everything they could to make sure that, you know, they were felt as guests until they were uh, threatened directly, and not just uh, indirectly threatened. Because it was always this kind of feeling of threat the whole time, because they were very impolite the entire time. Right, and... um I, I and I would actually highly suggest that book to anybody. It's just a good book. It's Time Enough for Love by Heinlein. And I think that was just a great way of handling the situation. You know, the neighbors came and he was like, yeah, come over and everything else. But he was prepared. On the other hand, you know, the main character and his wife both had guns because you don't know what people are going to do. And who knows what would have happened if they didn't defend themselves. But... It would certainly not be a good thing. And I kind of feel like that's probably how we should do things now. You know, in our society, it used to be the case that you would just walk up to someone's door and knock and say, hey, can I have dinner? That doesn't happen anymore. That's weird now. That is really suspicious. But if you get new neighbors or maybe you have a friend at work or something, 
I think it's a good thing to be like, hey, you should come over and I should get to know my coworker or my neighbor or my whatever. But you should always be careful. And I mean, actually, a good way to do this in today's society is be like, hey, we should hang out at Starbucks or somewhere that's not quite your house because that's a little bit, that can be a little bit dangerous. But when you do get to the point where you invite someone over, and now I'm going to move more to hospitality, if you have friends, for example, and you invite your friends over, you shouldn't give them the crap that you don't want. You shouldn't be like, oh, I'm, I just made this batch of beer, and I didn't care for it, so you drink that. I mean, that's not how hospitality works. You should be like, I made this batch of beer, and I love it, so you should drink it with me. And I think... I think it is always important to offer the best of what you have to your guests. And I mean, I suppose in the have them all the moral is just like, well, that's what you should do. That's what hospitality is. But if we think about it, I think this is actually a very integral part to our society. When you have, and, and more than our society, our close relationships. When you have people you care about and when you have friends... By offering them the best that you have, by being polite to them, by being generous to them, you are saying something to them. You're saying, I care about you, I think you're an important person, I want you to be happy. And that does cement friendships. Um, Gifts are going to come up later, which is another way to sort of cement friendships. But this thing of hospitality really cements a friendship um, of, of any sort together because it shows that you really care about the other person with something a little more sincere maybe than words. You're not just saying you're a great friend. You're saying you're a great friend and I'm going to share the beer that I have a limited supply of or the cheese that was rather expensive or the dinner that cost me more than my dinners normally cost to make. Whatever it is, I think that friendship or that uh, hospitality really shows that you care about somebody and sort of um, builds relationships. And I do think in Austro, building relationships is a very big part of it. That's why there's such an emphasis on, on kin, these strong relationships you have with these other people. So I think the hospitality rule is a is a very important thing uh, to follow, I guess, for for those reasons. Now, did you have anything else to add to that? I did not. All right. I, now, this is going to be a theme for a while, so we'll see how it develops. But I'm going to move on to my stanza three, and I don't know if our two translations are going to go out of sync here or not, but we'll see. Uh, Number three says, Fire he needs who with frozen knees has come from the cold without. Food and clothes must the fairer have, the man from the mountains come. Now, that one there is kind of just reinforcing this hospitality thing. And I I think in today's world, I would be comfortable saying... At least with people you invite into your home, you must be hospitable to them. It is... It, it should You should expect it of yourself. You should say to yourself, if I am going to invite this person into my home, I should be nice to them. So, you know, give them a nice place to stay. 
now today with our weather controlled everything it's unlikely that somebody's going to come in like rain soaked clothes and need a change of clothing so I mean if they do I think you still still should do that um, this is also kind of getting at the idea of invite travelers in people who have traveled far and though that doesn't really happen today I think the thing behind that is you know talk to and and be nice to people who travel because they've seen a lot of the world they know things that you don't know there is wisdom to be gained of them and I do think that even today if you have a chance to meet an interesting person and talk to an interesting person as long as you deem it safe I think that you should do that because you can learn a lot of things from somebody who has traveled and seen different places than you and you should always be trying to learn new things and trying to understand the world more than you know it currently and I think that's an important part of this alright I'm going to move to four water and towels and welcome speech should he find who cometh to the feast if renown he would get and again be greeted wisely and well must he act okay so most of this is the same but let's get to that last part if renown he would get and again be greeted wisely and well must he act now this is the other half of the hospitality moral yes as a host you need to offer them food and a place by the fire and you need to be nice as a host on the other hand the guest has an obligation to act well as well uh, the people in the Heinlein story for example the host was pushed to his limit because his guests were really not acting kindly at all they were not upholding their end of the agreement if you go to your friend's house let's say and and they're like oh hey I just made this new beer and I really like it and you you try a glass and you're like you, you know you should say oh that's good or oh this flavor is weird I mean you should not lie you should not lie you should be like I don't know if this is quite my taste but it's not bad but you wouldn't be want to be like oh this is horrible I've never had something so bad or or the other hand if they were like oh this is a really fine cheese you should try some of this as a guest you know you should try a few pieces and enjoy it you shouldn't eat their entire block of cheese in like two minutes and leave nothing for them it's just it's things like that think about your guest and realize or your host and realize that you know they're being nice to you or whatever and don't take advantage of your host which I mean you have the classic example and oh I can't remember the movie anymore but there's a guy who like lived on whoever's couch and we've all known the the kid who will you'll invite him over to spend the night one time and then he'll just like never leave and try to live on your couch and if you let him get away with it he will sleep on your couch for the next four months because I've seen that happen and that's what you can't do you can't outstay your welcome you can't be rude and you can't take advantage of somebody because as this stanza says a they won't invite you back so you won't get to see that person in the future and b and this one's probably more important you're not really creating a friendship or relationship with that person you're creating a parasitic relationship where you just suck off the other person and that's not what you want that's not a good thing to be in so 
as a guest, you also have certain um, considerations. And I have to say, you know, if someone was a bad guest, I probably wouldn't invite them back. I've been pretty lucky, and most of my guests are really good guests. But, but still, there, there, there is that other side of it as well. So, I will move on. And uh, if you have anything to say, Lord, do just jump in. Okay. I'm going to move on to number five. We're going to something different. Wits must he have who wanders wise, but all is easy at home. As the witless man, the wise shall wink when among such men he sits. I am going to divide this into two parts. First, the wits must he have who wanders wide, but all is easy at home. I think what that is getting at is, if you're really dumb, you'll be okay at home. You don't really have to be clever to stay at home and just kind of like do whatever. And again, this is different because we don't really travel as much as we used to, and travel isn't quite the same thing. But the idea is you can just sort of do what you want to do if you're not that clever. You can just tend the fields and kind of stay at home if you're not that clever. But if you want to be the person who is blazing new trails, and I think the most obvious form of that is traveling, if you want to be in this uncharted, unfamiliar land then you have to be wise. You have to at least be clever. Uh, A better analogy today might be something like pioneering, you know, starting your own business or, or pioneering new friendships and relationships on the internet, Um, just really getting out there and reading things and taking part in things on the internet may be a good example because no, you're not traveling as in you're leaving your home, but you are going to a different space that has different rules. And anybody who spends time on the internet knows that you can't do stuff like jump in a chat room and say, hi, this is whatever your name is. And the guy's like, oh, what's your address? And you just type away, oh, and here's my birth date. Oh, and my social security number. We're playing the social security number game. You can't just throw out your personal information and be okay on the internet. There are dangers there. You can't just put your credit card, send your credit card information to like uh, uh dictator from the Congo who's going to give you half of his money. He just needs a bank account to send it to. There's dangers out there. And if you're not a clever person, you don't want to put yourself out there. You just want to stay at home and, and you, know, you know, avoid certain things. Because when you're at home, you can tell your mom or your dad or your brother your social security number and they're not going to do anything with it. They might play a little prank on you. I don't know how they do that. But they're they're not going to hurt you with it. But when you get out into like the internet, for example, people will hurt you and they will ruin your life. So if you're going to go out there, you have to be clever. And more than a moral thing, I think that's just um, that's just a good way to live your life. If you don't think you're clever and, I don't know, maybe you don't want to be more clever so you don't want to improve yourself. And actually, I wouldn't say that's okay. But but if you if, if you're not the clever type, don't put yourself in dangerous situations. I, I kind of think that's what it's getting at. You have to be wise to travel. All right, now I'm going to get into the second part of that. It says, uh, oops, the wisest shall wink when among such men he sits. Or the wise shall wink when among such men he sits. 
I guess that's just that's not moral or immoral. I think that's just kind of a fact of life. Saying that the the wise the wise people, I suppose, are gonna realize when they're around kinda dumb people and maybe talk about them amongst themselves. Yeah, it's just kind of a fact of life. If you're a dumb guy, smart people are probably going to notice it and amongst themselves comment on it. Uh, just, I guess, be aware of that. Can I read the Hollander's version? Yes. Alright. <clears throat> of his wit hath need who widely fareth. A dull wit will do at home. A laughing stock he who lacketh words among smart wits when he sits. Oh, I like that one much better. That's why I read it. Yeah, there's there's a few translation things. So now, I guess that's kind of getting at something different, isn't it? That if if you're a dumb guy and you're trying to like be with other all all the other clever people, but you haven't done the work to be clever, you're sort of going to look ridiculous. You're gonna yep. kind of look like a fool because you would be a fool. Yep, and I, st- I I still think a dull wit will do at home is one of my favorite lines out of all this. Yes, I really do like that. And and I mean, it's true. If you're just doing the humdrum, normal, everyday life, you know, you can be sort of dull-witted. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to enjoy American Idol. <laughs> which I, I shouldn't be so mean to American Idol, but I am. I just really don't care for the show. It's very repetitive. Uh, but yeah, I guess, I guess that's probably... That makes a little more sense. That's a better way to put it. Um... If if you do try to hang out with all the smart people and you're just not that, you're just not clever, you know, it will make you a bit of a laughing stock. So, you know, be careful about that. And my advice, of course, would be, and I think what they're really getting at here, though not outwardly saying, is don't be a dull person. Don't be the dumb guy invest enough time and energy in yourself so you are one of the wise people and people aren't laughing at you because you're not the dumb guy. I think that's the undertone of what's being said here. And I mean, remember, this is um, the sayings of Odin, the god of knowledge. So, again, it would make a lot of sense if the undertones were, don't be stupid. Okay, so I'm going to move on to six. Um... A man shall not boast of his keenness of mind, but keep it close in his breast. To the silent and wise does ill come seldom when he goes as a guest to a house, for a faster friend one never finds than wisdom tried and true. And I do believe what this is getting at is if you're clever, if you're a smart guy, don't go around telling everybody how you're smarter than everybody in the world and you can do anything, and you're just absolutely brilliant. Because sometimes it's better for people not to... On one hand, if you go around... Let's be practical. If you go around bragging about how you're brilliant, and you're never wrong, and you can get out of any situation, people are just going to... I mean, when you're a bragger like that, people are going to try to get you in a bad situation just to knock you down a peg, so to speak. Or Odin will show up and challenge you to a battle of wits. (laughs) Exactly. Well, now, um, that particular story when Odin challenged a giant to a battle of wits, and whoever won 
would cut off the other one's head. And, of course, Odin wins and cuts off the giant's head. But, but the thing is, Odin went disguised. The giant didn't know who he was against. But the giant bragged all the time about how he was smarter than anybody else. Odin knew exactly who he was against. And that gave him an advantage. And the thing is, there will always be somebody smarter than you. So don't goad them on by talking about how smart you are and just bragging about how you know everything all the time because they will challenge you. You know, the more you brag about how great you are at something, the more you get challenged at it. And in something like this, you know, the challenge may end in, or a, a loss of the challenge may end in death. And why put yourself in that situation? Another part of it is... Uh, oh dear, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, another part of it is sometimes it really does come in handy in an emergency situation for people to think you're kind of dumb. Because, you know, you're the underdog. They're not trying their hardest because they don't think you'll win. That can be... That can be a really advantageous thing to have. And then I really like the last line. One never finds... then. Oh, for a faster friend, one never finds than wisdom tried and true. Again, saying that, you know, intelligence is the best friend that you can have. Swords and shields are great, but a sharp wit can get you out of more situations than anything else. And, and I agree with that. I think it's necessary to fight sometimes, but the vast majority of the time you can get out of a situation using using words in your mind instead of resorting to physical violence, and I think that's always the preferred method. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and move on to number seven. The knowing guest who goes to the feast in silent attention sits, with his ears he hears, with his eyes he watches, thus wary are wise men all. Um, kind of the same thing as earlier. Uh, as one, basically pay attention. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's it. And you know that's actually kind of interesting. It seems to come up a lot. Maybe we should give a little more attention to it. Paying attention is something that you just don't naturally think of as being important, but it really is. Just knowing your environment, knowing where you stand, where the dangers are, is a very important thing. A, a very important thing to do, not just physically, also, you could say financially, um, even maybe spiritually in some cases, socially and everything else, but just the idea of knowing what is around you is very important, because that's that's one of the best ways to not get yourself hurt is to never get in the bad situation in the first place. Yep. Okay, let's move on to eight. Um, happy the one who wins for himself, favored and praises fair. Less safe by far is the wisdom found that is hid in another's heart. Hmm. Well, I was going it, It's a little different. Go it, ahead and read yours. Happy is he who hath won him the love and liking of all. 
For hard it is one's help to seek from the mind of another man. So basically what I'm getting from this is uh, you're happy in friendship because it's really hard to just gather the information from another man by force. That would make sense. Um, and I think we get some more stanzas that are sort of along those same same lines. Something that we've discussed many times is you can never... And I, I don't know if on the podcast or not, but personally, just Lauren and I, or Lore and I talking, is the idea that you can never truly know what another person is thinking. I can ask you a question, and you can answer me, and I won't actually know if that's really what you're thinking or not, and there's no way to know. I suppose if you become friends with a person, you still can't know what they're thinking, but it's at least more likely they'll be honest with you. So yeah, maybe maybe that is what it means. It's easier to win uh, information wisdom from another person by being friends with them rather than just forcing it out of them. And you know, especially if you're talking about wisdom, uh, I, I suppose I'll take a small tangent to discuss wisdom versus knowledge. And now this is not going to be a universal thing, but I've always seen knowledge basically as information, maybe an a basic understanding of a situation and the but really information may be the better the best way to put it it's knowing the facts whereas wisdom is the ability to put into effect those facts or knowing how to use those facts so knowledge may be um oh actually my friend had just given me an example that i really liked Knowledge is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing tomatoes don't go in fruit salad. True. I just, I just like that antidote. But, you know, you can know that a seed grows in a certain... You can know that this seed will lead to corn because the moisture triggers its process to start growing and then it will be powered by photosynthesis and the sun and everything else. You can know all of that and not not get a garden to grow. Wisdom is knowing by the feel of things, you have to plant this time, you have to plant this deep, and, and just just know all those subtle things that can't be written down in a book. So if we think of wisdom as that, and this is saying the wisdom hid in another's heart, if if someone were to come up to me and say, how do you brew beer? I'll give you 50 bucks if you tell me. I would tell them. I'd say, I mean, unless they're really shady. But I'd be like, okay, yeah. You get all these ingredients together. You mix them. You boil it for this long. You bottle it. And and then you drink it. But if a friend were to ask me, hey, how do you brew beer? I'd give them the same information. But, I mean... There's other things that I throw in there, too. I might say, oh, you you do all of this 
stuff. Um, you put these ingredients together. Now, if it starts boiling too much, put it back. If it's starting to look fuzzy on top, do this. And I'm going to give all these other descriptive things that, not even on a conscious level, but just because I really want the person to be able to do the process, I'm going to give them more information they may not have gotten in another thing. And I may say things like, oh, and you should always talk to your beer because it gets lonely too. And there's no reason to think that really helps it growing but you know, or brewing, but maybe it does. So there's all these extra things that you get when someone wants to give you knowledge versus when someone is obligated to give you knowledge through money or force, either one. You just learn more about a subject if somebody tells you because they want to tell you and not because they have to tell you. So maybe that's what it's getting at. I'm not sure. I, I think that makes sense, though. Um, if you have friends, you're going to learn more. Plus, then again, they talk to you about other things that maybe you didn't even ask. Maybe you didn't ask how to brew beer, but I decided to tell you. Maybe you didn't ask to be taught a lesson, but the person decides to tell a story, and you do learn something which you weren't even expecting to. Okay, now I'm going to go on to the next one. Happy the man who has while he lives wisdom and praise as well. For evil counsel a man full oft has from another's heart. Now I do think I... You can see how this one's connected to the last one, and, and I'll ask you your opinion, but I would say this is saying a man is more happy when he has friends and praise and lives well because if... If you don't have friends and you haven't done anything to prove your worth, it's much more likely people will give you bad counsel and they'll use you as a pawn in nefarious plots. Now, would you say that's what the stanza is getting at, or am I reading it wrong? I don't know. I don't have the same stanza. Oh, what's your stanza for number so nine? Number nine? We yes. just did number nine. We should be on ten. Wait, what was your number nine? Uh, same thing. It was happy is he who hath won him both winning ways and wisdom for ill led us oft who asketh help from wit and words of another. Then what? Wait, that is okay. Never mind. It, it looks almost exactly like eight. Oh, uh, I'm I'm actually glad you said that because I wanted to mention this. This is a poetic device they use in the have them all, where like the first two lines will be the same for like ten stand over like four stanzas in a row. But the second two lines will be different. Um I guess it's just different aspects of the same theme. And this is one of those, so it is easy to lose your place because the first two lines are always the same. So th th there's a note. Um so so yeah, what's your number nine say then? I just read it. Oh, okay. What what was the just the last part again? I'm sorry. Uh, for ill led is off to ask if help from the wit and words of another. Okay, it, I guess it's a little tricky because you can almost see two things in there. One thing would be what I just said: if you're not liked among other people, they could use you as a tool. I guess you can also get the idea that you should really be making up your own mind rather than following other people's words. 
And I actually think those are both good pieces of advice. Um, you shouldn't be a jerk, because if you're a jerk, people are going to treat you as such. No one's going to feel bad if somebody lies to you and takes advantage of you, so no one's going to step in to protect you. And on the other hand, you shouldn't just assume what anybody says to you is right. You should make up your own line and take control of your own destiny rather than just being like, I'm going to do whatever this guy says. So I guess those are actually both good pieces of advice. I don't know exactly how you'd want to read it, but I think they're both good pieces of advice. Okay, what's the next one? I'm going to read number 10. It says, A better burden may no man bear for wanderings wide than wisdom. It is better than wealth on wealth on unknown ways and in grief a refuge it gives. Again, this is talking about the importances of being wise. You know, if you have money, you can buy stuff, but somebody's probably going to take all your money away because you're not clever enough to keep it for yourself. And I feel like this is a big part of Ossetrue, and one thing that really drew me to it is there is a huge emphasis on knowledge, because the All-Father Odin is a god of knowledge. There's a big emphasis on knowledge. You should be wise. You should have wisdom. You should know things. You should learn things. You should expand on things. And actually, that was number 10. We've still got 15 minutes or so. That was number 10, so I'm going to stop there as far as the hands, uh, stanzas go. But for the rest of the time, I'd kind of like to um, explore this idea of wisdom being important. Do we think that's right or wrong, and um, why do we maybe agree to it? Uh, Lord, do you have thoughts on saying, why should we be wise wa- rather than not be wise? Well... Obviously, it gives you advantages over those who are not wise. You know things that other people would not, and you are able to take advantage of the situation. Uh, as says human beings, what differs us from other species is the fact that we can think ahead and do things and hold knowledge and pass it on much easier than animals can. We're not the strongest. Uh, we're not the fastest. Other than the ability to think and do things with our minds, the only other advantage we have is that we can run further and longer than any other species on the planet, which is actually interesting. But um, it's our minds that make us constructive and able to do things. Without that, we would just be a hunting, gathering people. We grew beyond that. And I think that has led us to be able to... Uh, be able to populate more to make our species more successful. So I, I think that's why the thinking and, and, and having knowledge is important. I would agree with all of that. Um, and I, I, I do um, think that, and I think you were saying this as well, but it's not just well, thinking is practical. Because thinking is practical. Being wise is practical. It will give you advantages. But it is sort of that differentiating thing that makes us different than all of the other species, that we put more emphasis on thought, probably, almost certainly, than any other species. Other species don't learn for the sake of learning. And it has made us what we are today. In many ways, our 
intelligence, and I'm not talking about IQ tests or something. I'm talking about our intelligence, our desire to understand, be that physics or or subatomic. Oh, I guess that kind of is physics. I mean, be that physics or biology or music or government or whatever it is. We have a desire to understand the world that is around us and the world that could be around us. And I absolutely think that's one of those things that that makes us great. That is why we are the dominant species on the planet. And in many ways, that's also the thing that lets us connect to the gods because it's this desire to learn and this desire to understand and this desire to build better things and and understand things in an abstract way that has sort of created the created a way for us to reach the world of ideas which i think is integrate i can't say that word today which is closely connected to the physical world but not identical with the physical world this idea this world that that only ideas exist in and that's the world that the gods probably exist in we started experimenting with that and entering that world and interacting with that world because our minds had become so developed before our minds were developed it wasn't an option and our minds would never develop obviously our minds would never develop if we didn't use them and try to understand things so the quest for knowledge, so to speak, is one of those absolutely human fundamental things. I I don't know... I, I guess I'll see your thoughts on this. I don't want to say it's immoral to be dumb. I don't want to... I don't want to say it's immoral to not quest after knowledge. But on the other hand, part of me almost thinks it is. It's just such a great part of humanity, and there's so much in the world to learn, and that is, in some ways, the very basis of our humanity. Now, what about that? Is is it immoral to just waste your life and, and never try to learn anything? Is, is that wrong? Well, first we have to define what moral is. So... Mm-hmm. What's your definition of moral? Oh, uh, I mean, that could be a whole other show in, in itself, couldn't it? Now, let me make extremely clear I'm talking about moral and not legal. I don't think it should be illegal to waste your life. We're not even questioning that. Um, but let's let's just look up the... Is... Wow. These <laughs> dictionary definitions are horrible. Is... It's the difference between right and wrong. It's ethical. I mean, these are all sort of circular definitions. Are you... Okay, why don't we take it back? It says, my personal viewpoint, and I believe your personal viewpoint of the world, is the right and wrong lies in whether we're breaking autonomy. So is it breaking someone's autonomy to be stupid no to well, be to be for, forcefully stupid this is your own life is it breaking anyone else's autonomy no would you be considered breaking your own autonomy uh, that's what i was going to bring up maybe i mean you could you could see that argument certainly well it 
I, I believe that you would probably be less likely to be successful. Uh, but, on the other hand, the way things, as I perceive society now, it's easier to be a little less than bright. Oh, that's true, that's true. I suppose I don't think it's actually immoral to be stupid. And and, and I don't want to say stupid like someone who just doesn't have the ability to be smart. I, I don't see that as their fault. It's not a choice they made, so I don't I don't think that's immoral or or even bad. The thing that I hate to see, I guess I can't say it's wrong, but the thing that I hate to see is when a very intelligent, a person who has every potential to be intelligent just decides not to and throws their life away. And, and for, for whatever reason, maybe they're lazy, maybe they're on drugs, maybe they're whatever, maybe they just don't care. But I don't like seeing people just kind of throw their their life away and never try to learn anything new and never try to better themselves and generally speaking these people come out very depressed someone you know the classic someone who has given up on life i don't like to see that because it's such a great potential lost i can't say it's wrong I mean, there are arguments that you have a duty to yourself and you have a moral duty to yourself to be happy. And I don't think that's inconceivable. I, I, I wouldn't put someone down for holding the belief that they had a moral responsibility to themselves. I don't know if you actually do or not. I don't think you actually do. It's kind of like the difference between being moral and nice. You can be a jerk and do it in a moral way. It doesn't mean you should be a jerk. It just means you can get away with it and do it morally. And I think that's where this falls. If you're a human being, you have intelligence, you have wisdom, and you can make your life better. And I really think you should. You don't have to. It's not actually a moral truth, but it sure is the best thing to do. I suppose that's how I'd kind of define it there. And I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you really hate to see somebody throw away that much potential. It's tempting to say it's wrong, so you can have some sort of moral high ground and some real way to say, no, you have to apply yourself. You have to chase your dreams. You want to force somebody to chase their dreams, and then when you really examine that, you, re- you realize how ludicrous it is. It's like making it illegal to not practice your freedoms. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, but but still. Uh, it's, that, that was sort of a depressing note, and I'd like to end the show on a positive note. So I would like to say that I really do think that... I have a lot of faith in humanity. I think that we are an extremely intelligent species, and I think that we have learned so much stuff about the world and the more we learn about it the more we realize how much more is out there how much more there is to learn I mean we're creating reusable rockets now you can have tourist space travel in the future you're just like oh I'm going to space on vacation it's just amazing how far our people have come and I mean humanity how far humanity has come and that is why I'm very encouraged by this theme here that wisdom and knowledge is important, that our people were being encouraged to take a path where they learned more about wor- about the world, where they became wise. And 
I really think that is something that we should recapture today. Get excited about learning. And it doesn't have to be going to space. It can be understanding yourself or understanding anything, music, uh, food, uh, whatever it is. If, if you can constantly learn something, if you can constantly learn things, and if everyone were to constantly learn something new, I think the world would be an even better place than it is today. And personally, I think the world's a pretty good place today. There's a lot of exciting things on our horizon and medical space and uh, physics, just every branch of of science and and even other parts of the world we're constantly challenging ourselves to learn new things and i think the gods knew that would make us intelligent and they well i i think they knew that would make us great and that's part of why these things are here because they were like hey if people really focus on wisdom and knowledge they will become a greater, happier people. And, and I do think we have become a greater, happier people. So I, I just love the emphasis on knowledge. And um, any final thoughts from you, Lore? Think well, think long, think hard. And yes, that's about it. <laughs> okay. Um, that was up to stanza 10, I do believe. So, next month we will start on stanza 11. It's going to be, uh, well, we'll just see how far we make it. I would say 10 stanzas is probably going to be about average. Once we get near the end, they'll actually start going a lot faster. Um, but I know we've got a lot of interesting stuff to go over still. So, hopefully everybody enjoyed this show, and we've covered ten stanzas. If you think we've missed something, or perhaps you disagree with our interpretation of the stanzas, or maybe you agree with our interpretations, but you actually think it is immoral, or it is giving bad advice, and we should have grown past this advice, please give us an email at um, podcast at hugenhoff.org or hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And just let us know what you think, and also let us know if we can read it on the air, because I would love to read some emails out on the air. But so far, we haven't gotten any emails, so there you go. Anyway, thank you once again for listening. Lore, thank you for being my co-host this month, and we will see you next month. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. Frahel. Frahel. Frahel.